Act Three of Widowers' Houses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Widowers' Houses by George Bernard Shaw. Act Three. The drawing room in Sartorius's house in Bedford Square. Winter evening. Fire burning, curtains drawn, and lamps lighted. Sartorius and Blanche are sitting glumly near the fire. The parlour-maid, who has just brought in coffee, is placing it on a small table between them. There is a large table in the middle of the room. The pianoforte, a grand, is on the left, with a photographic portrait of Blanche on a miniature easel on the top. Two doors, one on the right further forward than the fireplace, leading to the study, the other at the back, on the left, leading to the lobby. Blanche has her work-basket at hand, and is knitting. Sartorius, closer to the fire, has a newspaper. The parlour-maid goes out. Blanche, my love. Yes. I had a long talk with the doctor today about our going abroad. I am quite well, and I will not go abroad. I loathe the very thought of the continent. Why will you bother me so about my health? It was not about your health, Blanche, but about my own. Blanche, rising. Yours? She goes anxiously to him. Oh, Papa, there is nothing the matter with you, I hope. There will be, there must be, Blanche, long before you begin to consider yourself an old woman. But there is nothing the matter now. Well, my dear, the doctor says I need change, travel, excitement. Excitement? You need excitement? She laughs joylessly and sits down on the rug at his feet. How is it, Papa, that you, who are so clever with everybody else, are not a bit clever with me? Do you think I can't see through your little plan to take me abroad? Since I will not be the invalid and allow you to be the nurse, you are to be the invalid and I am to be the nurse. Well, Blanche, if you will have it that you are well and have nothing preying on your spirits, I must insist on being ill and have something preying on mine. And indeed, my girl, there is no use in our going on as we have for the last four months. You have not been happy, and I have been far from comfortable. Blanche's face clouds. She turns away from him and sits dumb and brooding. He waits in vain for some reply, then adds in a lower tone. Need you be so inflexible, Blanche? I thought you admired inflexibility. You have always prided yourself on it. Nonsense, my dear, nonsense. I have had to give in often enough, and I could show you plenty of soft fellows who have done as well as I and enjoyed themselves more, perhaps. If it is only for the sake of inflexibility that you are standing out, I am not standing out. I don't know what you mean. She tries to rise and go away. Sartorius, catching her arm and arresting her on her knees. Come, my child, you must not trifle with me as if I were a stranger. You are fretting because— Blanche, violently twisting herself free and speaking as she rises. If you say it, Papa, I will kill myself. It is not true. If he were here on his knees to-night, I would walk out of the house sooner than endure it. She goes out excitedly. Sartorius, greatly troubled, turns again to the fire with a heavy sigh. Sartorius, gazing gloomily into the glow. Now if I fight it out with her, no more comfort for months. I might as well live with my clerk or my servant, and if I give up now, I shall have to give in always. Well, I can't help it. I have stuck to having my own way all my life, but there must be an end to that drudgery some day. She is young. Let her have her turn at it. The parlour-maid comes in. Please, sir, Mr. Lickcheese wants to see you very particular. 
on important business your business he told me to say mr lickcheese do you mean lickcheese who used to come here on my business yes sir but indeed sir you'd scarcely know him hm starving i suppose come to beg oh no sir quite the gentleman sir sealskin overcoat sir come in a handsome all shaved and clean i'm sure he's come into a fortune sir <sighs> show him up lickcheese who has been waiting at the door instantly comes in the change in his appearance is dazzling he is in evening dress with an overcoat lined throughout with furs presenting all the hues of the tiger his shirt is fastened at the breast with a single diamond stud his silk hat is of the glossiest black a handsome gold watch-chain hangs like a garland on his filled-out waistcoat he has shaved his whiskers and grown a moustache the ends of which are waxed and pointed as sartorius stares speechless at him he stands smiling to be admired intensely enjoying the effect he is producing the parlour-maid hardly less pleased with her own share in this coup de théâtre goes out beaming full of the news for the kitchen lickcheese clinches the situation by a triumphant nod at sartorius well quite well sartorius thank ye i was not asking after your health sir as you know i think as well as i do what is your business business that i can take elsewhere if i meet with less civility than i please to put up with sartorius you and me is man and man now it was money that used to be my master and not you don't think it now that i'm independent in respect of money sartorius crossing determinedly to the door and holding it open you can take your independence out of my house then i won't have it here come sartorius don't be stiff-necked i come here as a friend to put money in your pocket no use in letting on to me that you're above money eh sartorius hesitates and at last shuts the door saying guardedly how much money lickcheese victorious going to blanche's chair and beginning to take off his overcoat ah there you speak like yourself sartorius now suppose you ask me to sit down and make myself comfortable sartorius coming from the door i have a mind to put you downstairs by the back of your neck you infernal blackguard lickcheese not a bit ruffled takes off his overcoat and hangs it on the back of blanche's chair pulling a cigar case out of one of his pockets as he does so you and me is too much of a pair for me to take anything you say in bad part sartorius have a cigar no smoking here this is my daughter's room however sit down sit down they sit i've been getting on a little since i saw you last so i see i owe it partly to you you know does that surprise you it doesn't concern me so you think sartorius because it never did concern you how i got on so long as i got you on by bringing in the rents but i picked up something for myself down at robin's row i always thought so have you come to make restitution you wouldn't take it if i offered it to you sartorius it wasn't money it was knowledge knowledge of the great public questions of the housing of the working classes you know there's a royal commission on it don't you oh i see you've been giving evidence giving evidence not me what good would that do me only my expenses and not on the professional scale neither no i give no evidence but i'll tell you what i did i kept it back just to oblige one or two people whose feelings would have been hurt by seeing their names in a blue book as keeping a fever den 
Their agent got so friendly with me over it that he put his name on a bill of mine to the tune of, well, no matter. He gave me a start, and a start was all I ever wanted to get on my feet. I've got a copy of the first report of the commission in the pocket of my overcoat. He rises and gets at his overcoat, from a pocket of which he takes a blue book. I turned in the page to show you. I thought you'd like to see it. He doubles the book back at the place indicated, and hands it to Sartorius. So blackmail is the game, eh? He puts the book on the table without looking at it, and strikes it emphatically with his fist. I don't care that for my name being in the blue books. My friends don't read them, and I'm neither a cabinet minister nor a candidate for parliament. There's nothing to be got out of me on that lay. Blackmail? Oh, Mr. Sartorius, do you think I would let out a word about your premises? Round on an old pal? No, it ain't Lickcheese's way. Besides, they know all about you already. Them stairs that you and me quarrelled about, they was a whole afternoon examining the clergyman that made such a fuss. You remember? About a woman that was hurt on it. He made the worst he could of it, in an ungentlemanly, unchristian spirit. I wouldn't have that clergyman's disposition for worlds. Oh no, that's not what's in my thoughts. Come, come, man, what is in your thoughts? Out with it! You ain't spent a few hundreds in repairs since we parted, have you? Movement of impatience from Sartorius. Lickcheese goes on soothingly. Now don't fly at me. I know a landlord that owned as beastly a slum as you could find in London, down there by the tower. By my advice, that man put half the houses into first-class repair and let the other half to a new company, the North Thames Ice Mutton Depot Company, of which I held a few shares, promoter's shares. And what was the end of it, do you think? Smash, I suppose. Smash? Not a bit of it. Compensation, Mr. Sartorius, compensation. Do you understand that? Compensation for what? Why, the land was wanted for an extension of the mint, and the company had to be bought out, and the buildings compensated for. Somebody has to know these things beforehand, you know, no matter how dark they're kept. Well? Is that all you have to say to me, Mr. Sartorius? Well, as if I was next door's dog, suppose I'd got wind of a new street that would knock down Robin's Row and turn Burke's Walk into a frontage worth thirty pounds a foot. Would you say no more to me than, well? Sartorius hesitates, looking at him in great doubt. Lickcheese rises and exhibits himself. Come, look at my get-up, Mr. Sartorius. Look at this watch-chain. Look at this corporation I've got on me. Do you think all that came from keeping my mouth shut? No, it came from keeping my ears and eyes open. Blanche comes in, followed by the parlour-maid, who has a silver tray on which she collects the coffee-cups. Sartorius, impatient at the interruption, rises and motions Lickcheese to the door of the study. Shh! We must talk this over in the study. There is good fire there, and you can smoke. Blanche, an old friend of ours. And a kind one to me. I hope I see you well, Miss Blanche. Why, it's Mr. Lickcheese. I hardly knew you. I find you a little change yourself, miss. Oh, I'm the same as ever. How are Mrs. Lickcheese and the chill? We have business to transact, Blanche. You can talk to Mr. Lickcheese afterwards. Come on. Sartorius and Lickcheese go into the study. Blanche, surprised at her father's abruptness, looks after them for a moment. Then, seeing Lickcheese's overcoat on her chair, she takes it up, amused, and looks at the fur. Oh, we are fine, ain't we, Miss Blanche? I think Mr. Lickcheese must have come into a legacy. 
I wonder what he can want with the master, Miss Blanche. He brought him this big book." She shows the blue book to Blanche. Blanche, her curiosity roused, taking the book. "'Let me see.' She looks at it. "'There's something about Papa in it.' She sits down and begins to read. The parlour-maid, folding the tea-table and putting it out of the way. "'He looks ever so much younger, Miss Blanche, don't he? I couldn't help laughing when I saw him with his whiskers shaved off. It do look so silly when you're not accustomed to it." No answer from Blanche. "'You haven't finished your coffee, miss. I suppose I may take it away.' No answer. "'Oh, you are interested in Mr. Lickcheese's book, miss.' Blanche springs up. The parlour-maid looks at her face, and instantly hurries out of the room on tiptoe with her tray. "'So that was why he would not touch the money.' She tries to tear the book across, but that is impossible, and she throws it violently into the fireplace. It falls into the fender. Oh, if only a girl could have no father, no family, just as I have no mother! Clergyman! Beast! The worst slum-landlord in London! Slum-landlord! Oh!" She covers her face with her hands and sinks shuddering into the chair on which the overcoat lies. The study door opens. Lickcheese, in the study. "'You just wait five minutes. I'll fetch him.' Blanche snatches a piece of work from her basket and sits erect and quiet, stitching at it. Lickcheese comes back, speaking to Sartorius, who follows him. "'He lodges round the corner in Gower Street, and my private answer's at the door. By your leave, Miss Blanche.' Pulling gently at his overcoat. Blanche, rising. "'I beg your pardon. I hope I haven't crushed it.' Lickcheese, with the coat on. "'You're welcome to crush it again now, Miss Blanche. Don't say good evening to me, miss. I'm coming back presently. Me and a friend or two.' Ta-ta, Sartorius. I shan't be long." He goes out. Sartorius looks about for the blue book. "'I thought we were done with Lickcheese.' "'Not quite yet, I think. He left a book here for me to look over. A large book, in a blue paper cover. Has the girl put it away?' He sees it in the fender, looks at Blanche, and adds, "'Have you seen it?' "'No. Yes. No, I have not seen it. What have I to do with it?' Sartorius picks the book up and dusts it then sits down quietly to read. After a glance up and down the columns, he nods assentingly, as if he found there exactly what he expected. It's a curious thing, Blanche, that the parliamentary gentlemen who write such books as these should be so ignorant of practical business. One would suppose, to read this, that we are the most grasping, grinding, heartless pair in the world, you and I. Is it not true? About the state of the houses, I mean? Oh, quite true. Then it is not our fault. My dear, if we made the houses any better, the rents would have to be raised so much that the poor people would be unable to pay, and would be thrown homeless on the streets. We'll turn them out and get in a respectable class of people. Why should we have the disgrace of harbouring such wretches? That sounds a little hard on them, doesn't it, my child? Oh, I hate the poor. At least I hate those dirty, drunken, disreputable people who live like pigs. If they must be provided for, let other people look after them. How can you expect anyone to think well of us when such things are written about us in that infamous book? I see. I have made a real lady of you, Blanche. Well, are you sorry for that? No, no, my dear, of course not. But do you know, Blanche, that my mother was a very poor woman, and that her poverty was not her fault? I suppose not. But the people we want to mix with now don't know that. And it was not my fault, so I don't see why I should be made to suffer for it. Who makes you suffer for it, miss? What would you be now for what your grandmother did for me when she stood at her washtub for thirteen hours a day and thought herself rich when she made fifteen shillings a week? 
I suppose I should have been down on her level instead of being raised above it as I am now. Would you like us to go and live in that place in the book for the sake of Grandmamma? I hate the idea of such things. I don't want to know about them. I love you because you brought me up to something better. Half aside as she turns away from him. I should hate you if you had not. Well, my child, I suppose it is natural for you to feel that way. After your bringing up, it is the ladylike view of the matter. So don't let us quarrel, my girl. You shall not be made to suffer any more. I have made up my mind to improve the property and get in quite a new class of tenants. There, does that satisfy you? I am only waiting for the consent of the ground landlord, Lady Roxdale. Lady Roxdale? Yes, but I shall expect the mortgagee to take his share of the risk. The mortgage? Do you mean— she cannot finish the sentence. Sartorius does it for her. Harry Trench, yes. And remember, Blanche, if he consents to join me in the scheme, I shall have to be friends with him. And to ask him to the house? Only on business. You need not meet him unless you like. When is he coming? There is no time to be lost. Lickcheese has gone to ask him to come round. Then he will be here in a few minutes. What shall I do? I advise you to receive him as if nothing had happened, and then go out and leave us to our business. You are not afraid to meet him? Afraid? No, most certainly not. But— Lick Cheese's voice is heard without. Here they are. Don't say I'm here, Papa. She rushes away into the study. Lick Cheese comes in with Trench and Cocaine. Cocaine shakes hands effusively with Sartorius. Trench, who is coarsened and sullen, has evidently not been making the best of his disappointment, bows shortly and resentfully. Lickcheese covers the embarrassment of the position by talking cheerfully until they are all seated round the large table, Trench on the right, Cocaine on the left, the other two between them, with Lickcheese next to Cocaine. Here we are, all friends, round St. Paul's. You remember Mr. Cocaine? He does a little business for me now as a friend, and gives me a help with my correspondence. Secretary, we call it. I've no literary style, and that's the truth. So Mr. Cocaine kindly puts it into my letters and draft prospectuses and advertisements and the like. Don't you, Cocaine? Of course you do. Why shouldn't you? He's been helping me tonight to persuade his old friend, Dr. Trench, about the matter we were speaking of. No, Mr. Lickcheese. Not trying to persuade him. No, this is a matter of principle with me. I say it is your duty, Henry. Your duty duty to put those abominable buildings into proper and habitable repair as a man of science you owe it to the community to perfect the sanitary arrangements in questions of duty there is no room for persuasion even from the oldest friend i certainly feel as mr cocaine puts it that it is our duty one which i have perhaps too long neglected out of regard for the poorest class of tenants not a dare of it gents a duty I can be as sharp as any man when it's a question of business, but duty's another thing. Well, I don't see that it is any more my duty now than it was four months ago. I look at it simply as a question of so much money. Shame, Harry, shame, shame. Oh, shut up, you fool. Cocaine springs up. Lickcheese catches his coat and holds him. Steady, steady, Mr. Secretary. Dr. Trench is only joking. I insist upon the withdrawal of that expression. I have been called a fool. So you are a fool. Then you are a damned fool. Now, sir. All right, now we've settled that. Cocaine, with a snort, sits down. What I mean is this. Don't let's have any nonsense about this job. 
as i understand it robin's row is to be pulled down to make way for the new street into the strand and the straight tip now is to go for compensation <laughs> that's so dr trench that's it well it appears that the dirtier a place is the more rent you get and the decenter it is the more compensation you get so we're to give up dirt and go in for decency quite right mr sartorius quite right the case could not have been stated with worse taste or with less tact shh, 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 shh. i do not quite go with you there mr cocaine dr trench puts the case frankly as a man of business i take the wider view of a public man we live in a progressive age and humanitarian ideas are advancing and must be taken into account but my practical conclusion is the same as his I should hardly feel justified in making a large claim for compensation under existing circumstances. Of course not, and you wouldn't like to get it if you did. You see, it's like this, Dr. Trench. There's no doubt that the vestries has legal powers to play old Harry with slum properties and spoil the house-necking game if they please. That didn't matter in the good old days, because the vestries used to be ourselves. Nobody ever knew a word about the election and we used to get ten of us into a room and elect one another and do what we liked. Well, that cock won't fight any longer. And, to put it short, the game is up for men in the position of you and Mr. Sartorius. My advice to you is, take the present chance of getting out of it. Spend a little money on the block at the Cribs Market end, enough to make it look like a model dwelling, and let the other block to me on fair terms for a depot of the North Thames Ice Mutton Company. They'll be knocked down inside a two-year to make room for the new North and South Main thoroughfare, and you'll be compensated to the tune of double the present valuation, with the cost of the improvements thrown in. Leave things as they are, and you'll stand a good chance of being fined or condemned or pulled down before long. Now's your time. Here, here. Here, here. Here, here. Admirably put from the business point of view. I recognize the uselessness of putting the moral point of view to you, Trench, but even you must feel the cogency of Mr. Lickjesus' business statement. But why can't you act without me? What have I got to do with it? I'm only a mortgagee. There is a certain risk in this compensation investment, Dr. Trench. The county council may alter the line of the new street. If that happens, the money spent in improving the houses will be thrown away, simply thrown away. Worse than thrown away, in fact, for the new buildings may stand unlet or half-let for years. But you will expect your 7% as usual. A man must live. Je n'en vois pas la nécessité. Shut up, Billy, or else speak some language you understand. No, Mr. Sartorius, I should be very glad to stand in with you if I could afford it. But I can't, so there's an end of that. Well, all I can say is that you're a very foolish young man. What did I tell you, Harry? I don't see that it's any business of yours, Mr. Lickcheese. It's a free country. Every man has a right to his opinion. Hear, hear. Come, where's your feelings for them poor people, Dr. Trench? Remember how it went to your heart when I first told you about them? What? Are you going to turn hard? No, it won't do. You can't get me over that way. You proved to me before that there was no use in being sentimental over that slum shop of ours. And it's no good your turning ground on the philanthropic tack now that you want me to put my capital into your speculation. I've had my lesson, and I'm going to stick to my present income. It's little enough for me as it is. It really matters nothing to me, Dr. Trench, how you decide. I can easily raise the money elsewhere and pay you off. 
Then, since you are resolved to run no risks, you can invest your £10,000 in consoles and get £250 a year for it instead of £700. Trench, completely outwitted, stares at them in consternation. Cocaine breaks the silence. This is what comes of being avaricious, Harry. Two-thirds of your income gone at one blow, and I must say it serves you right. That's all very fine, but I don't understand it. If you can do this to me, why didn't you do it long ago? Because, as I should probably have had to borrow at the same rate, I should have saved nothing, whereas you would have lost over £400, a very serious matter for you. I had no desire to be unfriendly, and even now I should be glad to let the mortgage stand, were it not that the circumstances mentioned by Mr. Lickcheese force my hand. Besides, Dr. Trench, I hoped for some time that our interests might be joined by closer ties than even those of friendship. Lickcheese, jumping up, relieved. There, now the murder's out. Excuse me, Dr. Trench. Excuse me, Mr. Sartorius, excuse my freedom. Why not Dr. Trench marry Miss Blanche and settle the whole affair that way? Sensation. Lick Cheese sits down triumphant. You forget, Mr. Lick Cheese, that the young lady, whose taste has to be considered, decisively objected to him. Oh, perhaps you think she was struck with you? I did not say so, Trench. No man of any delicacy would suggest such a thing. You have an untutored mind, Trench, an untutored mind. Well, Cocaine, I've told you my opinion of you already. Cocaine, rising wildly. And I have told you my opinion of you. I will repeat it if you wish. I am ready to repeat it. Come, Mr. Secretary, you and me, as married men, is out of the art as far as young ladies is concerned. I know Miss Blanche. She has her father's eye for business. Explain this job to her, and she'll make it up with Dr. Trench. Why not have a bit of romance in business when it costs nothing? We all have our feelings. We ain't mere calculating machines. Do you think, Lickcheese, that my daughter is to be made part of a money bargain between you and these gentlemen? Oh, come, Sartorius. Don't talk as if you was the only father in the world. I have a daughter, too and my feelings in that matter is just as fine as yours. I propose nothing but what is for Miss Blanche's advantage and Dr. Trench's. Lickcheese expresses himself roughly, Mr. Sartorius, but his is a sterling nature, and what he says is to the point. If Miss Sartorius can really bring herself to care for Harry, I am far from desiring to stand in the way of such an arrangement. Why, what have you got to do with it? Easy, Dr. Trench, easy. We want your opinion. Are you still on for marrying Miss Blanche, if she's agreeable? I don't know that I am. Sartorius rises indignantly. Easy one moment, Mr. Sartorius. To Trench. Come, Dr. Trench. You say you don't know that you are. But do you know that you ain't? That's what we want to know. I won't have the relations between Miss Sartorius and myself made part of a bargain. He rises to leave the table. Lickcheese, rising. That's enough. A gentleman couldn't say no less. Now, would you mind me and Cocaine and the Governor stepping into the study to arrange about the lease to the North Thames Iced Mutton Company? Oh, I don't mind. I'm going home. There's nothing else to say. No, don't go. Only just a minute. Me and Cocaine will be back in no time to see you home. You'll wait for us, won't you? There's a good fellow... Well, if you wish, yes. Didn't I know you would? Sartorius at the study door, to cocaine. After you, sir. 
Cocaine bows formally and goes into the study. Lickcheese, at the door, aside to Sartorius. You never had such a managing man as me, Sartorius. He goes into the study chuckling, followed by Sartorius. Trench, left alone, looks round carefully and listens a moment. Then he goes on tiptoe to the piano and leans upon it with folded arms, gazing at Blanche's portrait. Blanche herself appears presently at the study door. When she sees how he is occupied, she closes it softly and steals over to him, watching him intently. He rises from his leaning attitude and takes the portrait from the easel, holding it out before him at arm's length. Then, taking a second look round to reassure himself that nobody is watching him, finds Blanche close upon him. He drops the portrait and stares at her without the least presence of mind. Well, so you have come back here. You have had the meanness to come into this house again. He flushes and retreats a step. She follows him up remorselessly. What a poor-spirited creature you must be! Why don't you go? Red and wincing, he starts huffily to get his hat from the table, but when he turns to the door with it she deliberately gets in his way so that he has to stop. I don't want you to stay. For a moment they stand face to face, quite close to one another, she provocative, taunting, half defying, half inviting him to advance, in a flush of undisguised animal excitement. It suddenly flashes on him that all this ferocity is erotic, that she is making love to him. His eye lights up. A cunning expression comes into the corner of his mouth. With a heavy assumption of indifference he walks straight back to his chair and plants himself in it with his arms folded. She comes down the room after him. But I forgot. You have found that there is some money to be made here. Lickcheese told you. You, who were so disinterested, so independent that you could not accept anything from my father." At the end of every sentence she waits to see what execution she has done. "'I suppose you will try to persuade me that you have come down here on a great philanthropic enterprise. To befriend the poor by having those houses rebuilt, eh?' Trench maintains his attitude and makes no sign. "'Yes, when my father makes you do it. And when Lickcheese has discovered some way of making it profitable—oh, I know papa and I know you. And for the sake of that you come back here, into the house where you were refused, ordered out." Trench's face darkens. Her eyes gleam as she sees it. Aha! You remember that. You know it is true. You cannot deny it. She sits down and softens her tone a little as she affects to pity him. Ah, let me tell you that you cut a poor figure. A very, very poor figure, Harry. At the word Harry, he relaxes the fold of his arms and a faint grin of anticipated victory appears on his face. And you too, a gentleman, so highly connected, with such distinguished relations, so particular as to where your money comes from. I wonder at you, I really wonder at you. I should have thought that if your family brought you nothing else, it might at least have brought you some sense of personal dignity. Perhaps you think you look dignified at present, eh? No reply. Well, I can assure you that you don't. You look most ridiculous, as foolish as a man could look. You don't know what to say, and you don't know what to do. But after all, I really don't see what anyone could say in defence of such conduct." He looks straight in front of him and purses up his lips as if whistling. This annoys her, and she becomes affectedly polite. "'I am afraid I am in your way, Dr. Trench,' she rises. "'I shall not intrude on you any longer. You seem so perfectly at home that I need make no apology for leaving you to yourself." She makes a feint of going to the door, but he does not budge, and she returns and comes behind his chair. Harry. He does not turn. She comes a step nearer. Harry, 
I want you to answer me a question. Earnestly, stooping over him. Look me in the face. No reply. Do you hear? Putting her hand on his shoulder. Look me in the face. He still stares straight in front of him. She suddenly kneels down beside him with her breast against his right shoulder, taking his face in her hands and twisting it sharply towards her. Harry, what were you doing with my photograph just now, when you thought you were alone? His face writhes as he tries hard not to smile. She flings her arms round him and crushes him in an ecstatic embrace as she adds with furious tenderness, How dare you touch anything belonging to me! The study door opens and voices are heard. I hear someone coming. She regains her chair with a bound and pushes it back as far as possible. Cocaine, lick-cheese, and sartorius come from the study. Sartorius and lick-cheese come to trench. Cocaine crosses to Blanche in his most killing manner. How do you do, Miss Sartorius? Nice weather for the return of l'enfant prodigue, eh? Capital, Mr. Cocaine. So glad to see you. She gives him her hand, which he kisses with gallantry. Lick-cheese on Trench's left in a low voice. Any news for us, Mr. Trench? Trench, to Sartorius, on his right. I'll stand in. Compensation or no compensation? Shake Sartorius's hand. The parlour-maid has just appeared at the door. Supper is ready, papa. Allow me. Exeunt omnes. Blanche on Cocaine's arm. Lick-cheese jocosely taking Sartorius on one arm and Trench on the other. Curtain. End of Act Three. End of Widower's Houses by George Bernard Shaw.